As a believer, reading God's Word is a critical part of your daily spiritual journey. And because it's so important, we've created a unique new resource to help you immerse yourself in biblical truth and open your eyes to all God's Word has for you. It's a free PDF download called The Word One-to-One that takes you on a guided journey through John chapter one. With biblical text and short commentary, each page provides insights that will strengthen your faith in an easy to read guided format. There's truly no other resource like this. Download your free PDF copy today at premierinsight.org forward slash resources. That's premierinsight.org forward slash resources. Matters of Life and Death, a podcast from Premier Unbelievable. Well, hello and welcome to another episode of Matters of Life and Death. Um, As always, I'm Tim Wyatt and I'm joined by my dad, John Wyatt. Hi, John. Hi, good to be here. Um, so this is a kind of follow-on part two episode to 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 what we talked about last week, uh, where we we had on Sophie Guthrie Kumar from from Choices. Um, if you haven't listened to that episode, it's going to really inform and, and kind of point our, our conversation today. So really recommend you pausing this and, and going back to have a listen to that first. Um, and Sophie was really explaining and giving a flavour of what her her charity Choices is about. Um, what it what it's for and it's kind of poli- it's kind of philosophy and, and policy of of trying to offer a kind of compassionate christian non-judgmental non-directive response uh to to both kind of crisis unplanned pregnancies but also people who is experiencing uh distress are after having an abortion before we kind of resume our conversation on this i guess it's it's worth noting that that the question of abortion is 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 a personal and painful topic for many many people including many christians and no doubt people listening to this show itself yeah that's right and and, you know i think i want to start right at the beginning and say whenever we talk about abortion we have to recognize the extraordinary pain that that so many people and men as well as women uh, have experienced and continue experience because of uh, unwanted pregnancies because of abortion and because of decisions made and our first responsibility, if you like, is to try and empathise. Uh, I sometimes say that we should talk about these issues not with um, rhetoric and judgment and confidence in our voices, but with tears in our eyes. And um, if if there are people who are deeply traumatised by this episode who and who are listening, uh, sorry, if there are people who are deeply traumatised by the issue of abortion and listening to this podcast you know I would say please reach out and find someone to receive help from there are people who can help um, including um, organizations like Choices that we heard about last week. Um, uh, John you've been a trustee of Choices for many years you're kind of very intimately involved in their work passionate about their work I could even say Um, what what why why did you kind of throw your weight behind that as an institution yeah well perhaps if i can just give a little bit of my own sort of pilgrimage on this uh about this very contested and, and problematic issue about abortion um in the uk the abortion act came in in 1967 and um the interesting thing is at the time 
um, many Christian doctors, including many people connected with the Christian Medical Fellowship, saw that as a very positive development. Uh, they, they saw the development of the Abortion Act. And that was because of the, the terrible reality of backstreet abortion. Um, and uh, many doctors were aware, were seeing patients who had either died or were permanently damaged or left infertile because of botched backstreet abortions. And they, as, as many as Christians, were deeply moved by this and wanted to have a compassionate response. And, and they felt that um, the Abortion Act, which was framed in a very uh, medical way, as a way that two doctors in good faith believed that an abortion would lead to less harm, uh, w would minimise risks either to the woman's health, her mental health, or to existing children, and so on. I remember at the time there was a lot of worry about uh, families with, uh, you know, where there were six, seven, eight, nine, ten children, and then you know, and the mother was just getting pregnant every year, and lo and behold, she's pregnant again, and the children don't have enough resources, and and surely this will be a compassionate thing uh, to uh, under these extreme circumstances. Uh, for a, a, a legalised abortion. So it was framed uh, in very medical, paternalistic um, way. And and, um, and although some Christians were strongly opposed to it, there were a significant group of Christian doctors who felt this was actually a compassionate response. Mm. And fascinatingly, I've actually um, listened to a, a podcast, which um, another podcast which sketched out the history of of kind of evangelical Christians in the, in the states as a response to abortions, and, and interestingly, contrary to what we might kind of come to assume now, again, actually, before the 1970s, it wasn't a universal kind of um, shibboleth of faith that that all Christians are, are are strongly opposed to abortion. It was a more contested, nuanced issue, and there were, as you say, there were Christians, evangelicals, even who were saying actually maybe maybe permitting some abortions is is the most kind of compassionate way forward. Yeah, and I remember at the time that many Christian peoples talked about the lesser of two evils. And uh, that was the way you tried to work out, you know, this was a very difficult situation. Yes, uh, it was an evil if you destroyed the life of the unborn baby, but, but actually it would be even greater evil if that baby survived and the damage that would be caused by that new life. And so with a heavy heart, you chose the lesser of two evils. And... Um, there was a very prominent uh, gynaecologist at the time, a Christian man called Rex Gardner, and he wrote a book called Abortion. Um, it, it came out in the early 70s, and um, I read it as a medical student, and I remember at the time being very struck and moved and, and persuaded by his arguments. But it's interesting, going back and rereading it, I reread it recently, uh, I'm shocked by how the sort of paternalism and the patriarchy that that it breeds. Um, so here's this male gynaecologist and, and saying, well, we have a real dilemma here. Here's a pregnant woman, you know, and, and he says, you know, is she in any fit state? And, and this is a quote. He says, the patient, the pregnant woman, drugged as she is with the hormones of pregnancy, is in no fit state to decide objectively. And and so he goes on and says, ultimately, it's doctors who have to decide what's in this poor woman's best interests. And that was the way that the original um, UK Abortion Act was framed. 
And at the time, I um, was was quite persuaded by that argument as a as a very young medical student. And it was only later on that, in my own journey, I became increasingly aware. And part of this was through John Stott's influence that of of the very very strong evidence in the scriptures and in Orthodox Christian moral teaching that that destroying that the life of the unborn baby was something very significant and that the dis, the deliberate destruction of this uh, vulnerable human life was actually something that Christianity spoke about very very forcefully uh, and I remember actually reading about the early Christian church and the and the way that you know abortion was very common at the time of Christ and 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 it was practiced across the Roman Empire but the the Christians um, were actively involved in trying to rescue uh, babies uh, and um, e including abandoned newborn babies. And I remember at the time being very struck by that and thinking, actually, this is a much more practical, compassionate Christian response. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned how polarized and how sensitive this this area is, and it's obviously something that people like Sophie and Christians working in it have to be very careful about how they. Uh, maneuver and navigate uh, through through this area because having come from you know the, the same act abortion act of 67 is still in force in the UK here but it's it's really been transformed I think the kind of secular conversation from a kind of maybe tragic necessity for a small number of women to save them from from backstreet abortions or, or severe harm and it's and it's unintentionally by the kind of drafters of the law it's become effectively abortion on demand up to 24 weeks and then if the child has any kind of disability or abnormality up to term uh, and it's been reframed as not a, a paternalistic kind of beneficent act by the state uh, or by the male gynecological profession on behalf of these hormone adult women but it's been twisted into something in which is a an act of feminist empowerment and it's about and and the, the kind of core argument is that well of course women should have the choice to end a pregnancy it's their body it's their choice yeah, I mean, I noticed you use the word twisted, which is uh, perhaps <laughs> a, an em emotive term, but it's certainly true. And I think you can trace this to the 1980s <clears throat> with the rise of feminism, um, that there was this sense of it's my body, it's my choice, uh, and how how dare you, anybody, but particularly a paternalistic doctor, tell me what I can and cannot do with my body and, and I think it's very striking the way that it's now become almost like an article of faith of feminism um, that that the the right to free abortion on demand is, is unquestionable is uh, from a feminist point of view it seems that um, it, it although there are a small number of feminists who've, who've raised voices about against this and and have actually in fact argued that free that free abortion actually acts against women's interests it allows them to be coerced and manipulated by predatory males um nonetheless it i think it remains the case isn't it that that um from mainstream feminist perspective free abortion uh, is seen as an absolutely central part of of, of protecting women's interests Yes, I mean it was very telling, wasn't it? One of the one of the stories that Sophie told last week was as a client that she saw who was 
who is ashamed almost to be feeling difficulties and, and, and distress after she'd had an abortion because she felt like it was an anti-feminist thing to do but she had so she'd grown up in a in a milieu which had told her that that um every woman uh, you know it was an act of empowerment to have the choice to have an abortion and therefore to feel guilt or shame or distress or grief after the abortion was an anti-feminist act and it was it was an act of paternalism and patriarchy and of course you know i i think i would argue it isn't and and probably sophie would would say this the same but it's fascinating that that is so deep in the culture now that that some women almost feel bad towards themselves for feeling bad yeah and i was very struck by the scenes not so long ago in ireland when uh, when the law was changed from a very restrictive uh, law on abortion to a much more liberal abortion law and what you saw was packed you know of women just celebrating with with party hats and balloons and uh, shouting for joy and uh, this is a wonderful day and and then you stand back and you say you know doesn't it seem the slightest bit strange that what what these women are celebrating is the right to destroy their own unborn babies and of course part of the problem in this um in this area, and it's, it's a point I often make when I'm speaking about it in public, is that there is no neutral language. As, as soon as we have selected how we talk about this issue, we've already got some kind of prior moral commitment. So if we talk about the fetus, we're using deliberately neutral biological language, which distances us from this entity in the womb. Whereas if I talk about the unborn baby, as I just did then, immediately I am using language which implies the, the humanity, the, um, the unique significance of this growing human being in the womb. And, and so as soon as we use language, uh, we are already uh, becoming polarised. Yes, I mean, it's, I think I've always thought it was incredibly like sociologically interesting that the two the, the names chosen by each side of this debate are both pro pro-life or pro-choice and obviously that's not only saying claim, trying to claim we are the side arguing for life who is against life and the other says well, we're the side for choice who is against choice but tellingly no no one wants to be anti anything everyone wants to be pro something and then similarly you know that as you say the language is either i'm killing my unborn baby or I'm terminating a pregnancy, which doesn't even use the language of the fetus. It talks about the pregnancy, and all I'm doing is ending, ending a pregnancy. Uh, I just, yeah, as you say, it's it's such a contested issue that that people, and I'll, I'll put my hand up and say, including myself, are uh, you know, it's you hesitate to talk about it, particularly as a Christian, particularly as someone who is, you know, like you, is personally does believe it's it's wrong to to end to, to to kill an unborn child or to terminate a pregnancy uh you, you hesitate to raise your head above the parapet because it's so so ferocious yeah and and you know one of the uh fascinating areas you see this in is in the antenatal ultrasound clinic you know which is something that the nhs a service it provides uh for for all pregnant women and and what happens is as a pregnant woman comes to be and it's usually an ultrasonographer a trained professional who's doing the ultrasound scan uh, the most important thing that the ultrasound sonographer needs to work out is whether this is a wanted pregnancy or not or whether it, it's possible that there's going to be an abortion 
um, because depending on which category this pregnancy falls into, the way that the language that the um, that the ultrasonography uses is completely different. So, for instance, if this is a wanted child, if it's clear, you know, that the, the mother is absolutely delighted and can't wait to see the pictures of her baby, what happens is the screen is turned towards the mother and the ultrasonographer says, oh, look, yeah, I can see his, there's his little arm and, oh, yeah, and he looks just like dad. You know, there's all this sort of uh, family kind of um, folksy um, fun and isn't it fun and look at there's your little baby and so on whereas if it's um, exactly the same pregnancy but now um, it's clear that this is an unwanted pregnancy the language that the screen is turned away from the mother and the language is now very neutral and and dispassionate yes well it appears the pregnancy is about 14 weeks gestation and it appears to be growing normally and I can't see any abnormalities and it, it's that very neutral dispassionate tone and yet the being in the womb is exactly the same hmm. yes indeed it's um almost Orwellian, you might say, the kind of way that language shapes how we think about things um, is not, as you say, it's not just a neutral descriptor, but people use language to to guide and shape the conversation and maybe even their own thoughts. And the interesting thing is that the ultrasound professional would, would not see that that is problematic at all. They would say, I am simply being sensitive, compassionate, nuanced, uh, patient-centred. Um, the fact that I adopt these totally different personas and responses is is simply being sensitive in this very conflicted area. I, I think another thing I, I want to point out is that in the traditional way in which the pro-life versus pro-choice uh, conflict or uh, debate, even culture wars, in, in the way it is, it is um, promoted is is the acceptance that the interests of the mother and the interests of the fetus the unborn baby are opposite whatever is in the interest of the mother is against the fetus and the fetus is 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 damaging the interests of the mother it's it, it's framed as a almost like warfare you know it is, is competing interests competing rights who should we decide is it the rights of the fetus or is it the rights of the mother and I, I would want to argue that's a very distorted and bizarre way of thinking of a human pregnancy. I mean, in fact, I think the truth is that the interests of the fetus and the interests of the mother are aligned. Whatever is good for the fetus is good for the mother. Whatever is good for the mother is good for the fetus. And our task is to try to ensure that both the interests of both these uh, people are are supported and, and, it's, and help them to see how supporting both is in the interests of both and that's the philosophy i suppose which sophie was underlining that kind of lies behind choices which is this kind of refusing to pick a side in the culture war but actually saying we're going to to sit with women and by default by proxy their unborn children and talk through in a non-coercive non-judgmental nuanced way look at in the round in the holistic sense everyone's interests and try and and talk through and come to a or help the woman come to a conclusion you're listening to matters of life and death a podcast from premier unbelievable let's just put our cards on the table here a lot of people listening will be like us instinctively 
kind of pro-life in terms of the kind of ethics of the issue how how would you respond to people who who are who are listening to what we've said and listen to Sophie last week and just don't get it that say well look if you think abortion is wrong how can you stand by and non-directively counsel a woman uh, who might end up having an abortion yeah and it's a really important question and I, can I just sort of slightly divert the question and talk about my own experience as a Christian doctor working in the National Health Service because um, this was an issue I personally faced repeatedly I was working as a specialist neonatologist, a specialist in the care of newborn babies at a major university centre where abortions were being carried out and were being offered to women because of abnormalities of the fetus. If it was if, you know, detailed scanning showed that a that an unborn baby, a fetus had uh, significant abnormalities and that it would be legal to carry out an abortion for that reason. Uh, then the woman would be offered an abortion and and quite often uh, it was suggested that the woman should talk to a neonatologist like me to discuss what would the implications be if this baby actually survived you know what what would it like what would, if the child had multiple disabilities like spina bifida or down syndrome or some other brain abnormality what what would be the likely consequences for the child so i would here i am i'm a, i'm a i'm a a Christian believer and I'm asked to go and talk to a woman who's considering having uh, an abortion and and the question is how should I act responsibly and faithfully in, in this situation uh, as a doctor you know should I start off the conversation by saying well I just have to tell you right at the beginning that I, I'm a Christian and I believe uh, that every life is precious and and, and I believe that, that what you're thinking about pot doing is completely wrong and immoral um i mean it's pretty obvious isn't it if i if i took that position um a i would be in direct contravention of the the rules of the general medical council of being a, a, a registered medical practitioner in terms of possibly coercing um uh, my and, and abusing my professional role but also it's pretty clear that it would be unlikely that we will be able to have a real open and honest discussion so i one of the things that i uh, find helpful in thinking about this is to make a distinction between what my desires are uh, in in having this uh, in this conversation and what my goals are they're not the same thing so as a christian my desires are that this lady that i'm talking to would be able to find compassion in her heart to be able to continue the pregnancy to love the baby even if the baby was profoundly disabled be because I genuinely believe that's best both for her and best for the baby but my goals in this conversation are different my goals are that she should feel treated with respect with gentleness with compassion that I uh, empathize with her that I give her honest and accurate information that I that I don't that she doesn't feel judged or coerced or manipulated and I I think that if at the end of the conversation we've talked about this at length with with the mother and so on that if if I go away and even if she then decides to have an abortion I feel if I've achieved my goals then then I haven't failed I don't feel a sense of failure I may I may feel sad as I often did when I heard subsequently that an abortion had been carried out, but I didn't feel that I had failed in in my role. 
to just press you on that then um it, it sounds kind of worthy and, and sensible but if we kind of boil the issue down to in any other context if there was an innocent life that was potentially that a person an adult came to you and said they were considering killing a child you would see your christian duty to do all you can to prevent them to to throw on all your persuasive ability to to use every argument possible and not obviously to coerce them but 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 no, you wouldn't say, you know, well, if I go away and I find out that person went away and killed the child, I feel sad. No, I mean, like, we have a responsibility to stand up, do we not, for the vulnerable and, and the unborn child ultimately cannot defend themselves. They rely on adults outside to, to speak up and defend them on their behalf. Yeah, and of course you're right. Um, but I think I would argue there that the situation is much more clear cut, isn't it? Because it is not just totally immoral to destroy the life of an innocent child it's also a very severe serious crime carrying life imprisonment uh, in the laws of the country and uh, and my duty is to defend the laws of the country and defend um, defend the child when we're dealing with abortion certainly in the UK as it is at the moment uh, we're in a very different context we're in a context that we've already talked about a highly contested painful context and we're in a context in which it is legal um, for this woman to have an abortion and there is a, an entire legal and supported uh, abortion service providing this and then my duty in this very complex painful contested difficult space is to say how can I as a Christian act as salt and light in this in this area and of course I do believe and have supported people who have campaigned and, and I myself have been involved in campaigning to have the law uh, changed and speaking in public against um, uh, the um, this very liberal abortion policy um, but what that's different from I, I, what I see as an incarnational role of me trying to be salt and light as a Christian professional within a medical system in which abortion is happening mm. and to just tie the conversation back to the kind of pregnancy crisis centers movement that we that we heard about last week at the kind of core of that is, is the idea of non-judgmental non-directive counseling where you know ultimately to put it in blunt terms if it turns out that the woman's true informed choice is to have an abortion the counselor does not make any effort to persuade them otherwise Again, some Christians will hear that and say, look, I, I get that, you, you know, it's legal in the UK. We can't actually physically stop them if they want to do this. But surely we could at least try and persuade them, you know, and you see at the more extreme end, that's right. That's why you see some people outside abortion clinics protesting with pictures of, of fetuses and things like that. And often quite emotive language and imagery to try and say, like, if, if we can stop one woman from walking in that door, then we've saved a life. That's an immense good act. How would you respond to that that kind of concern or criticism? Well, I would certainly say that it's not for me to uh, criticise or judge other people. Um, and I think we all have different roles and different callings uh, in this big and complex area of trying to um, promote and, 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 and act in a Christian way. Um, but I would say that there is a calling for... Um, acting in this much more nuanced way. It's, it's, the problem with the traditional pro-life approach is, I think as Sophie said last week, is that the natural assumption 
from anybody who who approaches a, a, an openly Christian service, uh, for instance, a centre which is connected with the church, the natural assumption is that they are going to be met with precisely the kind of um, judgmental, uh, you know, what you are proposing to do is is completely immoral and, and we cannot accept it. And, um, and, and I'm here to try and persuade you not to do it. Um, and unfortunately, in the current climate, that often comes across um, as coercive and it, it just accentuates this sense that Christians are, are not compassionate, that they don't really understand the difficult situation I'm in and, and the complexities of the situation. Whereas, and Sophie said this last week, yes, if, if we look at Jesus in the way that he reaches out to people, you know, what was going on in first century Palestine in Jerusalem at the time with the Roman soldiers and the tax collectors and everything else, the prostitutes, the abortion services, was the equal of anything you would find in inner city London uh, here and now in the 21st century. And yet what's striking is that is that we don't get um, recorded in the gospel Jesus uh, inveighing against the evil things that is happening, that the Roman soldiers are doing, that the prostitutes are doing, that the abortionists are doing. What we see is he reaching out with grace and truth, that, that there is compassion, there is uh, empathy, there is uh, a desire to to show the love of Christ without at the same time um, soft peddling the truth. And so I, th I think it is this this mixture of grace and truth holding together uh, compassion and truth. Uh, it's sometimes said that truth without grace is destructive and damaging and, 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 and can often be quite harmful. Grace without truth is powerless and ultimately a lie. But where you have the combination of grace and truth, then you have something very powerful, very unusual. And, and of course, that is ultimately the character of Christ himself. I wonder if there's another perspective on this, which is that um, in the in a UK context, as you say, where abortion is a is a state provided service free to people as part of the National Health Service, it's supported by all major political parties across the board. There's wide social and political consensus to keep the law as it is. Protesting outside an abortion clinic, uh, waving placards, or, or offering highly kind of coercive and directive counselling doesn't actually save many lives. Whereas taking the kind of long game and saying if we as Christians as the church become known as people who provide safe non-directive non-judgmental counseling we actually have the chance to reach more women who wouldn't be referred to us by GPs if we were just kind of pro-life zealots um, and therefore actually over the long run we, we can lower the numbers of children aborted in the UK each year far more effectively by taking us kind of so quote unquote softer, more moderate stance than if we kind of stuck to our, our pro-life guns and, and, and kind of lobbied parliament and, and did all the rest. Yeah, and I, I think there is, I, I don't want to say one's better than the other. I, you know, I want to support Christians who, who feel passionately about this issue and wish to be involved. Um, I would just want to argue that the kind of approach taken by Christian crisis pregnancies is this much more nuanced approach. And also the kind of approach taken by Christian doctors working in the NHS, again, a much more nuanced, a much more subtle 
approach is is a Christian response. It, it it's an authentically Christian response. Um, in other words, again, it's it's uh, from a theological point of view. I think you can see there is both a prophetic role. The, the role of the prophet is to stand up in a public place and to speak truth. And it's often to denounce, isn't it? If you look at the Old Testament prophets, they are often denouncing the um, the the evils of society. But there is also, we see in Jesus, who, there was a prophetic element in Jesus, but we also see this incarnational um, aspect in which Jesus is almost, it's just one of us, a, a man like any other man walking among us, and yet... Uh, revealing to us the character of God in his compassion in his sensitivity in his love and and in his reaching out to the outcasts and some of us are called more to a incarnational role some of us are called more to a prophetic role and we, and we should rather than attack one another we should try to support and encourage one another well, there's lots more that could be said there, but I'm afraid we've uh, we've reached the end of this episode, um, end of our discussion. Um, I'm sure uh, people have lots of thoughts and, and would obviously value hearing any feedback or, or kind of comments or contributions to that discussion. Um, as always, you can you can get in touch with us by emailing molad, M-O-L-A-D, at premier.org.uk. Um, uh, also, there's more to read and, and kind of stimulate your own thinking on, on this question of abortion. Um, uh, on John's website uh, that's johnwyatt.com but as ever thanks for listening um, and uh, we'll speak to you again next week You've been listening to Matters of Life and Death a podcast from Premier Unbelievable Unbelievable